Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Sunday, July 21st, 2019, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman today. In today's show, episode 324 featuring the Stepians, Cole's Wickers, brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Beat and use the promo code CLNS50, that's 5-0, for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Welcome in, everybody. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here this week. He'll be back next week, I promise. Trust me, uh, he can't be away for, for too long from you guys, but I am appreciative of the fact that he'll throw me a, an episode every once in a while so I can directly talk to you guys. And let's be honest about this. This is the deadest time of the year in sports, and I'm thankful for that because it gets me outside. I go get a tan. I get all that, that stuff. That, you know, go be one with nature. You know, go hang out at the beach, go hang out at the lake, go on hikes. It's great. And so I'd rather have it this time of year than be the opposite time, right? But there's like two dead seasons, I think. There's this season right here in the summertime when baseball kind of dominates. You know, we have off-season in the NFL, off-season in the NBA. And then there's a time after the NFL is over and basketball kind of has this weird you know, all-star break. And there's nothing that conference tournament players have started in college basketball yet so there's a there's two of them this is the worst one by far but with that being said Celtics are still making news here okay they just they've been trying to figure out who to sign with that 15th uh, roster spot and we have the tackle fall stuff uh Tremont Waters has been tossed around obviously on the two-way deal you have uh Javante Green uh, getting a two-way deal recently Max Struss has a two-way deal so there's a lot of guys vying it looks like internally for that 15th spot on the Celtics roster so there's a lot going on with that and with that we also had the Kemba Walker and Ennis Canner press conference which was a great press conference I enjoyed it because you know I, I love listening to Ennis Canner anyway as a producer uh, for CLNS we got to do some stuff with Ennis Canner back when he was I think playing for the Knicks when Goodman had him on and I gotta tell you I love the guy I fell in love with him right there he's very honest very open nothing is off subject he's just a guy that will tell you straight up what's going on I love that and for the first time, we get to hear from the Celtics' new point guard, Kemba Walker, who already 
sounds like a Celtic. We all know the Celtics target high character guys. Kemba seems like all right. I mean, we've all heard the stories too. Like you've, you've heard from Jim Calhoun. You've heard from, you know, a ton of people via Charlotte, whether it's coaches, ownership, uh, beat writers, everybody's glowing about Kemba Walker coming to Boston. It's been, uh, it, there wasn't that piece from like Howard Beck, which happened last time of like, oh, we, you know, Kyrie's a weird guy. Some people in Cleveland think this, but they, some people think this, right? There's none of that. All of this is positive with Kemba Walker. And actually, to be frankly honest with you, my favorite quotes from the Kemba Walker press conference, um, actually, and this is something actually he said to Mark D'Amico, who I'm going to quote here in front of the program, Mark D'Amico. Uh, he said, quote, Kemba told me today that he'll be asking guys like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum what it takes to be successful in the postseason. He's humble. He acknowledges they've been there, and he hasn't. He wants to learn. And right there, day one, we have Kemba getting it, right? Because one of the things that, and we've all heard this, right? And it's nothing new to anybody. One of the things that bothered the Celtics last year and what messed up some of the chemistry was the fact that the Jays, Jalen and Jason, went to the Eastern Conference Finals, got to Game 7 against LeBron James, and did it with the services of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. Now, we, we have heard through the grapevine, and this is all like kind of, you know, somewhat sore stuff, that Maybe the Jalen's and the Jasons of the world didn't appreciate Gordon getting minutes handed to him at the beginning of the season. Maybe they didn't appreciate Kyrie trying to take over the team instead of adding himself to the team. There's a difference between those two things. And to have Kemba right away come out with, I want to learn from Marcus, Jalen, and Jason about what it takes to win in the playoffs. That's going to go over extremely well in that locker room, okay? He's coming in to be an, uh, an addition, not to change the team uh, drast- drastically. That's the big thing here. In terms of Kemba Walker, the leader, what can we expect? I'll let him tell you. I think it just depends on the situation. Um, you know, I'm not a rah-rah guy. Um, if I have something to say, I'm going to say it, though. Um, but, you know, I'm more of a guy who say things in a positive way. You know, everybody's different. You know, you can talk to guys in a different way. Um, but, yeah, I just let things flow. You know, if I'm, I feel like if, if, if I'm doing something, if I'm working hard, you know, I feel like, no, that's how guys have to be. I try to lead by example for the most part. No, that's that's the kind of guy I am. Never gonna really scream at anybody or anything like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think chemistry is important. You know, I think you know the team has to be together. That's that's one thing that you know throughout my career, you know, I try to you know do you no know, team activities and you know small things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm more of a lead by example kind of guy. And that was Kemba Walker. You can hear more from him on our CLNS YouTube page. You guys know where to go. Go to go to YouTube. Type in CLNS Media Network into the the bar, the search bar at the top. Subscribe, obviously, because you don't want to miss anything with this upcoming season with the cast of characters the Celtics have on this year's team. Of course, Enos Cantor being a big part of that. We'll take a break from Kemba and all those guys. We we'll welcome in our guest for today. He is the co-founder. He writes the Stepian. It's one of the best. Uh, draft websites you could possibly ask whether it's high school prospects, college prospects, new NBA stuff as well. Cole's Wicker joins us. Cole, I got to be honest with you, man. I did not hear enough from you this particular draft season. <laughs> Two years ago, you were everywhere, like literally on every podcast doing everything. This year, you were slagging a little bit. What's up, dude? 
Yeah, it was a bit of a different experience this year. I came off of consulting for the Phoenix Suns for a while, and I kind of was trying to get back into the game, and I didn't get as many podcast invites just because I think I was kind of faded out in during the latter half of the college season. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back on with you guys. I remember, I think, a year and a half ago, I was on probably three or four times in total, but it's good to be back. Yeah, so you did some stuff for the Suns. Did you tell them to draft Cam Johnson? Is that is that you're doing there? <laughs> you know I can't comment on anything, but <laughs> well, here's here's what we'll do: you tap once for yes, twice for no. Would you have drafted Brandon Clark there instead of Cam Johnson? Yeah, I think I can objectively say that my my <laughs> draft rankings are public record. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured again, everybody's darling at summer. Li- and it, what's funny is like. And it, 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 I think it was either you or Cosmos or somebody was like, it's not a victory lap to tout about Brandon Clark. Okay, we all knew Brandon Clark was going to be amazing. None of this is shocking. A lot of you blew it. And, and look, we had told you so <laughs> way back months ago that Brandon Clark was going to be a stud. You're all idiots. Nobody takes a victory lap on that one. We, we could all, at least the smart draft people, and I, and I look at you, uh, Kevin O'Connor does great stuff for the ringer and all the, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that you can, you can uh, consult with that. I mean, Schmitz and, and, uh, uh, draft express, those guys are unbelievable too, but everybody loved Brandon Clark. This is not shocking to anybody. He should have gone way higher. Um, and we'll get to like a Brandon Clark esque scenario later on in this podcast, but I want to start with the Celtics draft and start basically from where they started. They're at 14. They draft Romeo Langford. Now look, had a banged up hand on a shooting hand, didn't shoot well the entire season. Boston has already worked on his shooting technique. Uh, Jared Weiss, who was on last week, talked about why they use the ping-pong paddle to help him uh, with his guide hand and to get him to put it in better position. When you look at Romeo Langford, uh, Cole, what do you see from him? Yeah, a lot of it is predicated on his shooting prowess. And Austin Ainge, if you heard him talk during one of the broadcasts in Summer League, was talking about his natural touch. And that's something that we all hit on in the draft process was this guy was a really elite finisher in college for most of the season. We're talking like 95th percentile just because he really had great touch to you know finish over the top of guys. And we hope that translates to his shooting. I think mechanically it's more than just being a thumber and using the ping pong paddle to like – influences guiding it's more about like he keels his wrist back really far when he shoots you see a lot of inconsistency there so i think his mechanics are going to be a work in progress but if he does shoot we're talking about you know a, a guy with prototypical wing size you know good wingspan he isn't the best athlete as far as creating separation one-on-one he more relies on his body and using his strength to finish over the top of guys but if he can if he can shoot he can play both sides of the floor i think his defense is pretty good it, it, i think it rates out as above average at the nba level maybe a touch behind jason tatum as far as that goes not quite the same caliber of athlete but he has that size he has the strength he's not incredibly quick twitch as far as lateral agility and he does lose focus off the ball but brad stevens usually does you know a good job with those kinds of players so i think in theory you're talking about a player that's a two-way wing who can shoot maybe a little bit off movement create in advantage situations very good attacking closeouts i worry a little bit about him being like an isolation scorer just because his first step isn't very good but if you get him attacking closeouts and he's really just exploding through smaller players that's where he really uh he thrives there you know, I was thinking at this, you know, this, this draft was interesting for a lot of reasons, obviously, because the Celtics had a couple of picks. And you knew, like, the, the, the rumor was, oh, Danny's not going to use all these picks, he's going to trade, blah, 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 blah. And I was thinking kind of the opposite. I was like, well, you know what? Having three first round picks gives you the opportunity to gamble on somebody. He's going to take a chance on somebody. Now, I thought it would be like Kevin Porter Jr. or Bull Bull, maybe at some point. Somebody that, you know, maybe had a rough first season. 
um, but showed a lot of potential in high school because actually I do think that Danny Ainge and, and Boston do put a lot of stock in high school tape. I've mentioned it in the past with guys how, like, yeah, maybe this year wasn't great, but in high school he was fantastic. Maybe it was just a bad fit, bad year, whatever. Um, so when they drafted Langford I, and, and the dust settled and, and the draft was over, I was like, that's the gamble right there. Danny Ainge was looking at a guy at 14, Romeo Langford, who a year ago – out of high school would have been a, a lottery, a higher lottery pick. Like you're talking top ten, top seven, top five, depending who you read and who scouting reports you read. And that's the guy where you're saying, well, norm. Like let's say he has a, he's not hurt at Indiana, and he's totally, you know, he, he instead of shooting 27 percent from three, shoots 32, 33. How does that change his outlook in terms of the draft process? Well, he probably goes higher just because. This draft was such a weird one where there was there was the clear cut Zion tier and then the you know John Morant and then if you have anybody if you have RJ with him if you had DeAndre Hunter after that I mean there were certain tiers but once you got to a certain point like 6 7 8 9 10 there's a lot of just you know fluidity in there and, a lot, and depending what people look for you know you could have a, a host of names in there and Romeo Langford forget about one of those guys in there so even though the Kings pick, which they expected to be, you know, way higher when they acquired it, you know, ended up being the last pick in the lottery. They ended up getting maybe a guy they thought they could get in the higher end of the lottery. Do you see that as maybe the gamble that Ainge was looking for? Yeah, I think that's definitely a defensible position as far as Romeo's pedigree coming into the season. I think number five in ESPN's top 100. So I think that was probably a little bit of a motivator. I think also just you look at who are the reasonable gambles in that range and you look at Romeo like if he can shoot, I think we can see that return on our investment. That's the... That's the inefficiency right now is Romeo, his shot mechanics, the injury or whatnot. If he can actually put the ball in the basket, off the catch, maybe a little bit off movement, and as a shot maker, that is how you make up that gap in draft capital. And I think that's what probably made them lean more Romeo instead of Bull Bull, where there are multifaceted issues. It, it was harder to see him meeting that ceiling, and maybe Romeo's ceiling is lower than that, but maybe it's more realizable. Yeah, I think I think having a guy that's six six. With decent on-ball skills, not a bad thing. And I, I, I reached out to his trainer at one point um, during the offseason. I said, you know, what are they getting? And he's, you know, a guy that can facilitate, you know, as, as a ball lead ball handler. Um, he'll hopefully, again, be able to shoot, you know, off the catch as a guy that's off the ball. Which, again, everybody – what's funny about off-ball shooting is, like, when, when guys come in the NBA, like a lot of these younger guys, like none of them know what to do off the ball. Like, zero, like none of them. They're going from a, a, a AAU and high school program where, like, if you're a freshman in, in college getting drafted, you're probably, you know, one of the better guys on your AAU team, one of the better guys on your high school team, one of the better guys on your college team. So you're probably used to having the ball in your hand a lot. And when you get to the NBA level, you just have literally no idea what to do. So, like, the off-ball stuff, as you mentioned before, like, with Stevens defensively, that won't be an issue. They just – they know how to how to get guys to play well while the ball is on some other part of the floor and have eyes on the ball and on their man. Um, but I think as an off-ball shooter, like, that's where – like, you will go back and look at Jason Tatum's first year with Boston. You go look at – those first couple of months where Tatum was shooting like 50% from three-point range because all he was doing was sitting in the corner and shooting wide-open three-point <laughs> shots. I mean, go back. There was a game against Atlanta in Atlanta where Kyrie was creating at the top of the key. We get in the lane, kick out to Tatum for a three. It was like a, actually a close game, and Tatum buried two threes late in the game because there was nobody anywhere close to him. And that's how they sort of integrate you. They kind of like baby you a little bit. And then they give you a little more responsibility after that. So for Langford, you know, year one here, we've mentioned it, you know, shooting is going to be a real priority here. They're not going to ask him to create a whole lot. Maybe they will now, but I, again, I don't think so because they still have guys in that, that team 
that can create. I mean, Kemba, obviously. Jalen, a little bit. Tatum, obviously, a little bit more. Hayward, you know, to the nth degree of, of Tatum because Hayward is just basically a, a taller point guard at this point. But they're not going to ask him to create a whole lot. That's not going to be a, a responsibility for him. There's so many other guys that need to do that. Marcus Smart is on that list. Um, we'll see who they use as the other backup guard. That's Brad Wanamaker or Carson Edwards, who we'll get to in a little bit. But the, primarily, you know, Langford's role is going to be his shot. So when they decided during the, you know, the, between the end of the draft and summer league, like we all, I kind of knew he wasn't going to play, but it wasn't shocking to me that the first thing they had him doing was working on that jump shot, getting that thing right, and getting him somewhat productive because to have shooting on the wing is is a commodity in the NBA right now. And if he can provide you a little bit of that, you can get him on the floor year one and get him used to the NBA speed right away. Am I wrong on that? No, I think that's really well said. And you, you look at how – Brad Stevens goes about defining positions. It's very ball handler, wing, big. Like, it's very simplistic, and I think that they're going to plug Romeo in as a wing. So not a lot of ball handling, not a lot of pick-and-roll passing. They're going to ease him into a role where it's mostly going to be spot-up shooting, maybe a little bit of advantage creation. Uh, Hopefully he can tack some closeouts, and I think it's going to be really simplistic from the off. Yeah, so we're moving from a guy in Langford who didn't play at all in Summer League to the guy that I think for most Celtic fans, and, and for you personally for sure, <laughs> was everybody's favorite player in the Summer League uh, series, uh, and that's Grant Williams. Now, I, I have perused the Stepien, okay, before we can look at this interview. You guys had Grant Williams ranked way higher than where he actually went. What made you fall in love with Grant Williams? Because obviously I will get into it a little bit shortly after you. But you guys had him ranked, like, what, 7th or 8th right after Brandon Clark? Yeah, we had him 7. So we were really high on him. And I think why is you saw in Summer League, he's just a really good basketball player. He doesn't fit the prototype measurements, you know, six, seven and a half, you know, six ten wingspan. He doesn't have great height, doesn't have great vertical pop as far as off the floor quickly. But the guy just really gets the game. He's one of the smartest prospects, I think, to come into the draft in the last decade. If you hear him talk, this guy is a future president of the United States. Like, dead serious. Like, this guy is incredibly cerebral. And you see that manifest on the floor, too. So I think the pushback with him, a lot of it was the shooting. Because he didn't take a lot of threes at Tennessee. But you look at his touch. It's really good. Like, every year in college, his free throw percentage increased. We see the touch on floaters. He can shoot over the top of guys. His difficult shot making is really underrated as far as his release point. I think most of all, though, it's, it's about the passing offensively. Like he can really see the floor. If you put him in a short roll situation with a Kemba, with a Carson Edwards, like we saw in summer league, he can really make decisions at a high level. So you just put the overall IQ package together, team defense. And this is a guy who, in my opinion, was easily a te- one of the 10 best basketball players in this class. You know, it's funny when you get drafted in the top 10, you always have some elite skill, right? Like, like Zion, you know, Zion has elite explosiveness, elite athleticism. He has a really good head on his shoulders in terms of IQ. Like he, I, I love the people that don't that think that Zion's is like a big dunker. Obviously, have never watched him play. Like he, the way he sees the floor, especially in transition, is like magical for me. Especially a guy that size. You know, you look good on the list. You know, John Morant. You go to RJ Bear. Blah 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 blah. With Grant, Grant's elite skill. Because I agree with you, he should have gone a lot higher. Grant has elite skill, and you mentioned it, it's his brain. Grant, Grant has. And I didn't. It's one of the things that if you're like me, like I didn't watch a ton of college basketball this year. Like I screwed up, I messed up. I'm. I will fully admit that I didn't watch a ton of Grant <laughs> Williams this year. And if you watch Grant Williams highlights, you really don't get what Grant Williams really is. You get like you look at him, you're like, oh, this guy's just like a hard worker, and he gets rebounds, and you know he finishes through traffic, and he's got a nice free throw stroke. Like, okay, I get that. You actually have to watch. Like I was trying to t- explain to guys that got at me in my mentions about this. 
they were like, oh, why are you all over Grant Williams? Why is Grant – like they do the, the summer league power rankings for the Celtics. And I'm like, Grant Williams <laughs> one, Carson Edwards two, Robert Williams three, Taco four, like Tremont four, Taco five, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Like, why do you have Grant one? He does. He's averaging 8.5 points a game. Like, you don't watch the game then. Because when you look at what he does, just on the defensive side of the ball, like forget about the offense for a second. Look at the defensive side of the ball. And you just you, – you shadow him, right? You just you only watch him on the floor. You'll, you'll get such an appreciation for where he is at all times on the floor. He knows exactly where to be. Like, there were several moments, and I think the first one we got was in that Philly game where he literally, like, truck-sticked a guy in the middle of the floor like a free safety, and I, like, my face blew. I, I had the biggest smile on my face. I was like, wow, this guy really just has a great idea of, like, where the ball is going to go, where the action is going to go, what's happening here, what's happening over there. His IQ is off the charts. He communicates really well uh, with his teammates. I mean, you talked about the fact that he speaks well is, is another big thing, but the fact that he can he can tell people where to be and be the kind of a quarterback of a defense is, is is huge. I think this guy, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, he reminds me a lot of a of, in just in a different you know bigger body. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Smart, and I, and I mean this this way: the stuff that he does on the floor will will not show up on a stat sheet. You just won't see it. But at the end of the day, when you look at the plus minus at the end of the day, you'll be like, oh, man, Grant Williams was a plus 20 again in 22 minutes. How the hell did he do that? And you go back and watch the tape, and he's literally everywhere at all times. The defense is better when he's on the floor. The offense moves better when he's on the floor. He just has one of those guys that has that type of impact. And you don't see a lot of those guys a lot get drafted. You're always looking at guys like, oh, can he jump out of the gym? Oh, how good's his three-point shot? You don't draft on, like, basketball IQ anymore. And I agree with you. That is, without question, his biggest strength. Now, his NBA-ready frame is also good. He's going to be able to get on the floor right away. But part of the reason why that is is because defensively, he's going to be able to you know cover up positions, you know cover down positions. If he's got to you know you know in a pick and roll, play the five a little bit and match with the five. We've seen he's not going to be totally overmatched in that regard. If he has to guard point guards, he can do it for a spell. I mean, he just has a lot of tools that I think Brad Stevens specifically looks for in a basketball player. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, his frame is is really good. He's multi-positional. I think he showed more agility than a lot of people expected um, in summer league. He's actually pretty good laterally. If you look at his combine testing, if you look at how he reacts to dribble moves, he's not bad there. And his frame, I think he worked out with P3 before the draft, and they were really high on his ability to shed weight as well, but still maintain his strength level. So I think there's agility upside. But overall, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is about his ability to contribute to winning basketball. That is his biggest allure. Maybe in college, a lot of Tennessee, he was used in a really a rudimentary fashion. A lot of like catching in the post, a lot of post isos. I think that made him look a little more anti-modern basketball than he actually is. He's capable of more as far as skill level, but it's really his IQ, rotational awareness on defense, the ability to make decisions on a basketball floor. I don't know if a lot of people do that better than Grant Williams. Would you have taken Brandon Clark over Grant Williams? I would. I, I think that Brandon Clark can do all those things, and he's an elite-level functional athlete. So it, it's close. I had Brandon Clark at three. I had Grant Williams at seven. So there's not a huge gap there. Yeah, that, that was a tough one. I know a lot of Celtics fans were like, guys, Brandon Clark's still sitting there. Brandon Clark's still sitting there. And then they end up with Grant <laughs> Williams, and it was like, well, all right, if you're not going to get Brandon Clark, let's get the other you know, darling of – of uh, I would say NBA draft Twitter. I, it's so funny. Everybody like I, I think Sam Fasini was going to have a heart attack when this Alex got Grant Williams because he was like I think he wrote an article about it like maybe three days before the draft happened where it's like you know it would be a great fit for this for Grant Williams to be the Boston Celtics and then it actually happened and I thought his Twitter was going to explode. 
but yeah, I'm. I, I gotta ask you this. So can a can a lineup of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, um, who am I missing here? Shemi Ojale and Robert Williams coexist on a basketball floor. I mean, they can really guard. You have to worry a little bit about the spacing and the creation offensively, but it'd be fun to watch. I mean, again, I don't know if a lot of teams can score on that, but offensively, that's that's a pretty tough uh, tough sell for me. Yeah, it's gonna have to be like Jalen Brown takes a ginormous leap forward and becomes a ball, becomes a, like a, a creator uh, out of the two spot for that to really happen. But I'm just looking at in terms of intimidation factor. There's nobody, nobody's gonna be better than that intimidation factor. I mean, Smart obviously has a reputation at this point. Jalen. Is as athletic as, as as you can get, I think, at that spot. Plus, you know, Shemi had an. I was talking to Drew Hanlon about this when they. I had I had Drew Hanlon on the show right after the draft, and I was talking to him about Shemi, and he was like, "Yeah, we told him to go to the NBA Combine shirtless, and we weren't kidding about it because he was so already ripped and had an NBA body that it would impress people more, and he would actually get drafted higher. But he didn't do that, obviously. But with Shemi, Robert Williams, um, and guys that are just you know elite level, somewhat athletes. Uh, are guys that are stockier and, 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 and a little bit more physical can you know hold up that physicality. I know a lot of guys right now, you look at the loss of Al Horford, obviously, the Celtics, but a lot of people are like, well, Shemi Ojale can guard you know uh, Giannis a little bit. And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. He did it like a couple of times two years ago when Giannis didn't have the body he has right now. Um, but, you know, people will hold out for that. Um, moving on, though. Quick break from Call of Time. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NBA season 2019's over, 19 and 20 coming up. You can make money on the NBA still right now. Okay, you can bet on who's going to win the title next year. Odds are already out, and the Clippers, number one on the docket. They're plus 350 to win the title. Lakers at plus 450. Bucks plus 500. I actually don't like that one. Philly plus 800. Interesting. And our Celtics here, plus 1,600. Not a great bet, I don't think, right now. Let's see what they look like on the floor first. But if you want to throw some money down to the Celtics, look at the odds for the Atlantic. They're plus 275. Actually, that's pretty good. I, I would throw money on that because we don't know what Philly's going to be yet. So if you want to make money in the seas, take the division first. Then maybe later on in the year, you can double down and say they're going to win the title. But you can also make custom player bets during the games throughout the entire season. Just pick a player and a stat, and betonline.ag will give you a line for it. You have odds for next year. Player props are already coming out in full force. Now pay attention to these because sometimes they come up, and then the next day they're gone. Like there were Durant props that you could have probably gotten at one point during the offseason. Like I saw them. I told you guys about them. I said it was free money on my Twitter account, at Evan Valenti. There's free money to be had here with this Durant prop. Keep looking. Sometimes, you know, some things come up and you can you can get a steal. Like Zion's points per game next year are set at 18.5. All right, take the over-under on that. You can bet on who's going to win the season series between the Lakers and the Clippers and a whole bunch more. Make sure you go to clsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat to get a 50% bonus on your deposit of at least $25 or more when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left in the sideline all the action going on to the court. And there's also a virtual casino. You can make some money there, too. So whatever you do, make sure you use betaline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. My favorite pick of the entire draft for Boston was Carson Edwards. I could not believe he fell the second round. And I know he's short. I get that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that the, the, there's a stigma for short guards. 
in the NBA, especially ones that are really old, that are really undersized twos. Like Carson is not a guy that's going to facilitate the basketball a whole lot. He has a little bit of that, but he doesn't have a ton of it. But just from a this is a league that is more dependent on three point shooting more than ever. How does this guy who went up against the best or one of the best defensive teams in in the college basketball last year in Virginia and went off against a whole host of defenders on Virginia for 42 points and almost knocked out the national champs by himself. I could not believe a guy who can shoot like he can lasted so long in the draft. What was your reaction to him going in the second round? I love the value. I had him 14 on my board, so I saw the same thing as you, a guy who can shoot in a diverse amount of ways. Probably the most dynamic pull-up game in the class can shoot from 30 feet, but has a two-motion shot. So his shot release is at the top of his forehead. He can shoot over the top of guys as well, uses his strength incredibly well to create separation. We saw that early. I think it was against Zaire Smith where he dropped his right shoulder and they hit a fadeaway right over the top of him. Not a lot of six-foot guards can do that. So I think when you look at the versatility of his shot, he can come off screens. He's a good screen setter. We're talking about a guy six-foot, but he's built like a running back. He's incredibly sturdy. He has that kind of Boston Celtics frame. And he can be utilized a lot as an off-ball guard as well. So he doesn't need the ball to be productive. I think that's something that he got killed for at Purdue just because you saw the shot selection, the lack of creativity for others. He wasn't very fun to watch, frankly. Like his decision making wasn't great, but the guy has an NBA caliber skill and it can come in a diverse amount of ways. And it comes in a package that, you know, he's very strong and he at least has some length defensively. I thought some of his summer league defense was actually kind of underrated as far as getting around screens, being a little bit more physical than he gets credit for. So I love the pick. I love the value. I think Boston's going to find a way to optimize him. My favorite thing about Edwards, actually, you didn't even mention him. Surprised about this. My favorite thing about him. I mean, the, obviously the, the three point shots, great, but the way he gets his base set, when he shoots is, A, he does it in, in a really quick fashion. Like There's not a lot of dilly-dally time between him getting the ball and him getting his base set and getting square to the basket to shoot. And what I love that, just you know, seeing that in general. But the fact that he does it consistently, and you don't have to work. Like, that jumper does not need any work at all. It is, it is ready to go, day one, roll it out. He has no fear at all whatsoever, as we saw in Summer League. He can, he'll pull up from, from 30 feet from Seth Curry range and with 100% confidence take that shot, which is you know saying a lot for anybody, never mind uh, a rookie coming to the NBA. But the fact that he can square himself up, and I saw I think Cosmos wrote a piece on this, but how he's like one of very few guys that has the ability to shoot some certain shots. And he compared him a little bit to Clay Thompson, which is, you know, everybody's like, whoa, settle down. Everybody relax. Clay 6'7 is, and it can shoot. What you, and that sports science, he went like, what, 8 from 10 from three-point range in the dark? Like, come on. Like, we're not trying to say he's Clay Thompson. <laughs> we're trying to say, you know, he has a trait that Clay also has. And, it's and again, that base, the way he gets set, the way he can do it so quickly and get a shot off quickly with not a lot of room in front of him and a lot of space. We saw a couple of times where I think it was against the first game against the Grizzlies where he pulled up with, like, two guys bracket, bracketing him off a pick. And he still pulled up and buried it from like twenty seven, twenty eight, and at that point, I'm like, yeah, no, this guy, this guy's gonna be the real deal. Now they have Brad Wanamaker in front of him, who I know they like. He's been in the system for a year. They like, they like the fact they don't have to baby him or anything. He can just, they, they can roll him out there and have confidence he can run the offense. But I have a, I have a very high suspicion that he's gonna play meaningful minutes for Boston. By the time January rolls around, and by the time the playoffs roll around, he will have overtaken Brad Wanamaker in that fourth guard spot. You will see him a lot off the bench, for sure. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's a really easy plug-and-play as well, again, because he can play so much off the ball. And this kind of ties into the versatility of a shot. Like you mentioned, his quick setting, come off the screen, kind of get square, elevate quickly. I love his transition ability to, again, shoot that 30-foot three. And really, as a gravitational force, he really forces guys to come out and guard that in an early drag screen. That's kind of what his value is as an on-ball player to me, is that early offense transition. He can really push and then force that that the big come out. I can't remember who it was against, but he stuck one of the bigs out on one of those early drag actions, hit him with a hesitation move, blew by him. So I really like him as a transition point guard, kind of half-court, off-ball player where you can just utilize his shooting gravity in a diverse amount of ways so you can shoot the, bas- uh, shoot the ball. How much do you value plug-and-play guys like Grant Williams and Carson Edwards over guys that are projected to be something else? Like, I know that, you know, the R.J. Barrett thing as an example. Now, I'm not trying to clown on R.J. Barrett. I like the kid. I, I hope everything goes well for him because obviously he's gotten a lot of flack after playing with Zion and not being, you know, Zion-esque, right? But a, a guy with R.J. Barrett obviously is a guy you're projecting. Like, he doesn't have a three-point shot right now. You know, he's got to get stronger. That body needs a little bit more muscle on it before he can, you know, play with NBA contact. How much do you value guys like Carson and Grant who are – plug-and-play guys from day one. You don't have to worry about their NBA physique. They're already ready to go. Is that something you, you rank higher? Or what, give me your little process on that. Yeah, I think it's about I, – I look at some at first contract value. So, it, of course, depends on your team's position. But I do like guys who can contribute. And it, it depends on what the upside of these in the future guys is. If I don't find it realizable, I would – favor a guy who gives you first contract value. And I, I often think a guy like Grant Williams has upside that we don't really account for. Like he gets written off as this lower upside prospect. I think there is upside there, actually. But overall, I think that it depends on the, what the prospects, the younger guys, we see this a lot with younger prospects with athleticism and some shooting ability. And they get projected as like this high upside, you know, variance player, like a Nasir Little. But what are the chances he actually hits those marks? So if, if a prospect's young and he shows a strong foundation, I might favor them in certain instances over guys who are NBA but a lot of times those guys don't actually have realizable upside, and it's the players who can contribute on their first contract, have a little bit of upside to end up being the better basketball players long term. We'll move on to the last two very quickly for the for the Celtics. Last two, well, one pick, one guy they signed, you know, uh, afterwards. Tremont Waters, i got to be honest with you, I had no clue. Again, another guy I had no clue. I didn't watch a lot of SEC basketball, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I'm, as a Syracuse guy, I watch way more ACC than anything else. I like the Big Ten. Although it's a way different pace, you know, you go from the ACC that loves to thrive in transition, you know, the Duke, the Carolinas, um, you know, Syracuse, NCs, all those guys. Um, although Virginia's kind of an outlier there, uh, and the Big Ten was just like super physical, slow it down, run, you know, super complex, cohesive sets. You know, you use all thirty seconds of the shot clock, all that stuff. I didn't watch a lot of LSU, a lot of SEC basketball. But the one thing about Tremont Waters and Scott Morrison, who is the uh, the Julie coach and is the coach of the main Red Claws, the the, the Julie affiliate. Um, and was their summer league coach, mentioned how out of all the guys that came in the day, the first day, that Tremont Waters was the most impressive guy. And I was like, this is crazy. I've never even heard of this guy, really. And you watch him play, again, feel for the game. If he weren't filed 11 or probably shorter than that, he probably would have gone a little bit higher than that and he doesn't end up in Boston. But his feel for the game, Cole, is way more advanced than, than I thought it would ever be. And at, at the bare minimum here, I think you're looking at li- at least the guy that could run a team at some point, but later on in, the, in, the, in his life, he's going to be a great coach someday, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, if he wasn't 5'10", if he was 6'3 or 6'4", he would have been a top-five pick. For me, he would have probably been my number two guy in the class. That's wow. how wow. good he is at basketball. Like, he's incredibly cerebral, um, can make all the passes. He's kind of like a poor man's Trey Young in several respects, like, already. Like, his, his skill level is really high. His ability to shoot the basketball. And, like you said, the ability to run a team. He's just kind of a natural point guard. And I think Brad Stevens touched on this. Is Really, he does everything but be tall. And that's, unfortunately, the way it is. And I think we've seen some of that in the past with someone like Tyler Ulis. I think Trey Waters is actually like better than Tyler Ulis, but it just all comes down to size. Like how tenable is it for a 5'10, you know, lead guard in the NBA to really have value at the highest levels of play. But at worst, you're looking at a guy who can really run your G League team, puts like other prospects in positions to succeed. And I think he can be like a, a quality fourth or fifth guard. I think his upside's higher than that. But again, when you try to translate that to the highest levels of play in the playoffs, for example. He's going to be a liability defensively, even though he has some of the best hands you'll ever see for a prospect. He's got incredible anticipation, quickness, and all of that. It's just, there's only so much you can do when you're 5'10", and you know, like a buck 75 or whatever he is. It, it's a tough sell as far as high-level impact, but he's a really, really good basketball player. So it sounds like, to me, you really like the Celtics draft this year, with the exception like, I mean, Langford notwithstanding, the other guys that they picked up, you just kind of love the value they got there. Yeah, I mean, I, all three of those guys I had as top 16 players. I think Langford was actually my lowest guy at 16. I had Carson 14 and Grant at 7. So I thought the value and the ability to understand what Philadelphia was going to do and then capitalize on that. I thought Carson Edwards would have been awesome in Philadelphia, by the way. But I, I thought that they did yeah, a really ben good Simmons job calibrating the value. Ben Simmons throwing him passes would have been an incredible sight to see. <laughs> cause you could, I mean, ben, I mean for, uh, as much as we you know, talk about Ben Simmons' uh, three-point ability, the guy has – Maybe some of the best eyes and the best brain you'll, you're going to find oh, around, yeah. like, you know, of guys that age. I mean, you know, you're talking about not a lot of guys see the floor the way he does. Like, it, it reminds me in a way, like, of LeBron. I know people are going to take this way out of context and say, wow, you think LeBron is good? No, 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 no. I'm saying the vision and, and the ability to have that at such a young age reminds me of a younger LeBron who also had that type of vision. If you give him an off-ball deadly shooter like like Carson Edwards, it would have been it would have been a really tough scenario for a lot of other teams, especially at Philadelphia right now. Like I, I that to me, not to get off track here because I do want to get one more question. To me, <laughs> Philadelphia is the most interesting team in next season, and it's not even close to me. Like I I, I know people are gonna be like LeBron and Anthony Davis. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. Uh, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Butler, whatever he's doing in Miami, whatever that team looks like when they're done. Uh, you have Harden and Westbrook. You have Kawhi and, and Paul George. All those teams are really interesting. I think Philadelphia is fascinating. With the way they've built this team, they're, they're huge. But the, there is not a ton of shooting on that team, um, and I'm not quite sure how they look defensively with all those bigs out there. I think they're fascinating. If they had Carson Edwards as the guy that come off and shoot the basketball, would help. Now, Zaire Smith, we'll see. Like I, I was very impressed with Smith during summer league. I, I missed him last year. He's such a high-level athlete. And it looks like he's worked on a couple of things during the offseason. And he could be a huge part for them uh, coming forward here. But I think upcoming this season, Philadelphia, for me, number one most interesting team in the league by, by far. You are where on the spectrum here. Yeah, I mean, there's such a unique team roster construction as far as they could be one of the best defensive teams we've seen in a long time. When you look at Embiid paired with Horford, Simmons, the size there and the versatility, plus Josh Richardson is one of the best point of attack defenders in the NBA. Tobias Harris isn't a great defensive player, but he has size. He's, you know, six eight, six nine, And then you pair that with Zaire Smith. 
Matisse Thibault, their other first round pick. And those guys are all plus defenders. I mean, where do you really attack that team on that side of the floor? I think most of the questions come on the other end of the floor. Like you said, the, the not just the floor spacing, but the initiation. Like how important Jimmy Butler was to that team last year. You saw them against the Raptors. They went a lot more pick and roll with Jimmy Butler because he was their one guy who could, you know, create for himself and others off the dribble. They don't really have that guy anymore. Ben Simmons is a half court big. He's not a guy who can initiate your offense. I mean, Celtics fans know that better than anybody because Celtics are the best team in the league, in my opinion, at guarding Ben Simmons. Uh, Tobias Harris isn't like a creator for others. Josh Richardson, that's not really his role. So I'm very fascinated to see how it plays out. Their defense is going to be dynamic. Do they have enough offense to beat the elite offenses in the NBA? Final one. Give me your thoughts on Taco Fall. What are we looking at here? I, I'm, I'm very impressed with how he moves. Uh, watching him is a treat it is a trip i've never seen anything like it <laughs> it's it's like when you're playing with uh like when you're in high school and you're playing with kids in middle school and you're just way taller than them it's way easier for you to play uh give me your thoughts on what he brings to the table and what boss might get to do with him yeah i mean it's i've never seen anything really like it before he when you park him in front of the rim like there's just you can't explode over the top of this guy. It's almost impossible. Even Zion had problems with that, and he had problems with nobody in college basketball. So he's he's obviously huge as a rim protector. I don't know how he really guards in space. He's definitely clearly a drop coverage guy. I, I think he's going to get exploited a little bit more. Even we saw even Jared Vanderbilt beat him to the corner, and Jared Vanderbilt doesn't have the threat of his shot, even though he's very fast. So I'm curious in how he survives on that. And offensively, more of like a straight dive, big, going to duck in, establish deep position with his jump hook. He has pretty good touch, honestly, and he's a more coordinated athlete than he gets credit for. But I think the <laughs> I think there might be some overreaction to Taco Fall, like just the reaction in, in Vegas. Like you heard, every time he did something, it was incredible. The, the crowd response. I don't know if he's going to be a long term NBA guy. But he's he's worth a shot. I think he's a little bit better than I gave him credit for. He just I, I I've never. It's it's so fun to watch, and I mean I, the crowd getting it was great. But like it was funny to me, towards the end of summer league, they figured out like the best end of shot clock play they can run is throw the ball really high in the air, let Taco go get it, and let's do something <laughs> with it. Like <laughs> it took like two or three games for them to figure that out. Like you know because. We're so far removed from post play, like just we don't like we don't like to watch old school post play anymore. Nobody does. Nate, you can name all the good low post players on like one hand, basically in the league at this at this point. Like we're so far away from Al Jefferson at this point, it feels kind of embarrassing. So at the end of the shot clock, nobody wants to do that. It's all about you know guard play and wing play on the outside, trying to create your own shot, get a little of separation, and and hit a tough a tough mid range shot or a tough three point shot. This is such the opposite of that, where it's like. Okay, there's five seconds left. All right, throw it up the taco and see what he can do with it. It was so <laughs> much fun. I it, it just really brought a whole different dynamic to basketball back for you know the three minutes he plays a, a, a stint because he doesn't play you know a whole he is a liability in certain areas. We all know this, but I, there I think there is a way for a really smart coach and a really smart front office and a really smart developmental program to harness. Some like I think it was somebody. I think it might have been Steve Bullpet. Somebody had the idea already of, you know, wouldn't you want Taco Fall for like the last play of a game with five seconds in the shot clock to guard the inbounds play? Like, wouldn't you want to get like how hard is it going to be to get the ball over that guy? It'd be impossible. 
yeah, I think stuff like that he's going to be usable for. And you look at kind of a proxy for him with Boban, like the only guy that can really mimic his size. And Taco's, of course, bigger than Boban is. And, I mean, if you want to implement like a zone defense for two or three minutes a game, Taco could probably man the, mi- the middle of that. So I, I think like a guy like Stevens could get creative with him. I don't expect his upside to be anything real. I mean, and there's going to be certain levels of play that he's not going to be able to stay on the floor. But it, it is interesting. I think if you get creative enough with him, you might be able to carve out a roster spot there. We'll see. That's Coles Wicker, the Stepien. Follow him on Twitter, at Coles Wicker. Check out the Stepien. They do great stuff for draft. They already have 2020 stuff coming your way. Trust me, I've been looking at stuff on there. 2020 prospects are already up on there. Check them out. Uh, Cole on Twitter again, at uh, Coles Wicker. Cole, thanks for taking some time. Enjoy the rest of your summer. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Anytime, man. Likewise. And that will do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Thank you to you guys for joining me today. And big shout-out, Coles Wicker is the man. If you guys don't follow Cole on, t- on Twitter, follow through with the Stepien, you're making a big mistake because they have some of the best draft coverage you're going to find. There are so many great people out there in terms of draft coverage. We've mentioned a couple of them, like Sam Ficini is really great, Kevin O'Connor is really great, the Draft Express guys are really fantastic. Like There's so much stuff, but you got to make sure the Stepien is part of your routine when you're checking in on draft prospects throughout the year. Big shout-out to Cole. Big shout-out to my sponsor for this show, betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com backslash Southwick Use that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of 25 dollars or more some thank yous to hang out as well my man adam who will be back next week all right appreciative that adam lets me come in every once in a while and talk to you guys directly I-, I love you guys so much you guys are the greatest people ever shout outs to larry to john to nick of course all the network for helping us out throughout the week and again i shout out to the team there's there is a group of people that they don't get a lot of credit a lot of times there's a group of people putting together video segments for us on youtube with this show Shout out to those people. The working behind the scenes production people, they're fantastic. Those little video segments we put up on YouTube. By the way, if you haven't subscribed to the CLS Media YouTube page yet, do that. But those people that put those videos together, put the graphics together, those people are, are rock stars. I don't know who they are. I just know they exist. I love you guys. Very thankful. Speaking of love, I love you guys listening to the show. You guys are the greatest people ever. Adam is back next week. Gino, let's get out of here. Let's go to the beach. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.